your favorite band's about to play a sold-out show. You got in... Over here! ...with a friend and found a spot close enough to see the set list. They're definitely playing your song. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that American Family Insurance wants to protect your dreams. So whether you're at home singing in the shower... Every note! ...or prefer singing your heart out in the car like Drew... You can save up to 23% when you bundle your home and auto insurance with American Family Insurance. Get a quote or find an agent at AmFam.com. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. It's operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. If you decided to start your own business, this is the episode to check out. Lots of small business owners out there but not always a lot of knowledge about how to get it right. We all have a lot of passion for the things we really care about. And that passion pushes us into situations that we may not be prepared for. I was really happy that my guest today, Corey Logaitis, has done a great job of breaking down being in a small business and how to become more successful, being flexible in her ideas I think idea flexibility is one of the most underrated things when it comes to anything in life and growing and progressing. Corey did a great job of explaining her background in business and working with small businesses and how you can get ahead. I urge you to listen to this podcast with an open mind and gain a lot of information. Enjoy my conversation with Corey Logaitis. Okay, third time's a charm, you know. It'll <laughs> be how it works out at this point. Yeah. Uh, thank you for being on. And I came across some information about you and working with small businesses and the whole deal. And I thought it'd be an interesting conversation. So uh, thanks again. I really appreciate you being on here. Sure. No, I appreciate you having me. So I also I wanted to get into, I think I saw something about... Um, a third generation small business owner being connected to that and kind of start there? Sure. So um, I got my start. I'm a third generation entrepreneur. Um, I got my start helping out with my family's business. So to give everybody kind of like a a brief, very brief bio on myself, um, I went to college and I ended up with a very expensive piece of paper that says I could draw really well, otherwise (laughs) known as an art degree. And I didn't know what to do when I got out of school. So initially, my father came to me and asked if I'd be willing to come and do graphic design work for my family's business. Uh, My family owns a large electronics distribution company uh, based out in the northeastern United States. So I figured, sure, let me try this for a little bit until I figure out what else I want to do. And I blinked and 15 years later, I was the senior vice president and helping run the company. So I got my start in what I do, you know, working for my family's company as a um, as a wholesale distributor, you know, our clients, we, were, we did business to business. And the more sales that our, you know, customers did, obviously, the more equipment we were able to sell. So as a distributor, distributors are phenomenal at small business development. And that is where I learned all the skill set that I now coach small businesses on today. What was your interest in art? Where did that come from initially? Uh, That was from when I was a child. Just I've always been very creative. Um, I love 
you know, creating things, you know, basically from, you know, having an idea, you know, or a concept and being able to bring it to life. That's something that's always been very exciting to me. And, you know, to be honest, it served me well, because even though I work in business now, for the most part, I still utilize everything I've learned along the way, you know, from art to digital media to design through my website, my YouTube show, um, social media channels, I'm always using those skills on a regular basis. And it's one of the things that I really love working with small businesses and entrepreneurs on um, how to develop, you know, how to develop that creativity and find alternative solutions to their problems uh, without necessarily having to spend a ton of money on it. So, you know, you mentioned, you know, graduate, you have that expensive piece of paper. What was your thought process as you got closer to graduating where you're like, what am I going to do with this? Was it, was it that thought or what, what was going on? You know, it's interesting because one of the things that the school that I had attended had promised was that they, they teach the business side of the art world and mm-hmm. they did not. <laughs> and oh. I find that this is very, very common for a lot of art schools, you know, and that's why there's, you know, so many starving artists out there. And it's because business is not necessarily taught in art school. You're taught how to be creative. You're taught how to, you know, make, um, you know, art and paintings and, you know, video content or what I'd say they probably teach it more in the digital side. You know, if you you go to school to be a graphic designer, you learn a little bit more there. Uh, My degree was in general fine arts, which was basically everything. And that was not something that they really taught at all. So everything I know about business, I learned, you know, through my family. Wow. So it's interesting. Like, I think I've known a lot of people who are into art and you're right. There's a lot of kind of struggle with that. So did you recognize that pretty quickly? You're like, yeah, I need to pivot on this and, and maybe use it, but, uh, think about a different direction with it. No, I think for me, it was more, did I want to be making art? (laughs) You know, I didn't really know what I wanted to be doing. I didn't really know what my purpose was. I think this is the case for a lot of kids that are straight out of school. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it took a little bit for me to kind of explore and figure out ultimately where I should be. Um, you know, it's a completely normal process. So I can't say I ever came out of school like thinking like, yeah, I'm going to be a professional artist one day. I just knew it was something I enjoyed and something I wanted to pursue and get better at. And it was interesting because then after I had my degree and I was out of school, I was kind of like, well, what do I do with this now? Uh, which is how I ended up, you know, becoming a graphic designer for a little bit. When you say like making art, what does that mean to you? Like, I mean, I'm curious about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, it's different for every type of artist. But um, for me, I was doing painting. I was drawing. I really enjoyed video. Um, so I did a lot of video. I did sound engineering. Um, the digital space really kind of excited me. I thought that was something really interesting because it was new um, when I was in school. I went to college in the early outies. So yeah. uh, with that said, you know, I'm actually glad that I did because I use all of that now in the work that I'm doing today. So it's kind of interesting. And I, I talk a lot about this, both in my speaking engagements, as well as when I'm working with my clients that no matter where you are in life, you know, if you're not happy with that, you're not where you are today, ultimately where you want to be to kind of remember that the skills that you're learning today are going to prepare you for what you're really meant to do. And I really felt that that was the case for me, you know, in my young adult years, because like I said, I had really a lack of direction, a lack of purpose. I wasn't really sure where I should be going and everything prepared me for where I am today. 
So when you're going through the process of school and art and knowing that your parents, um, you know, well, you had this third generation business or it's been going on a while, were they very supportive of your art endeavor or were they always kind of like, well, where is this leading? Or was there an expectation that you would come in and help them always? Oh, no, actually, it was the opposite. <laughs> oh, they didn't um, want you to do no, it. No, no. It was, I remember from being a very, very young and my dad telling me that he never anticipated me to work for them. Um, you know, and part of that too was uh, at the time, my family's business was based in a very rough neighborhood in Brooklyn. Um, you know, so I think that played into it too, that, you know, daddy didn't want his daughter coming into a sketchy yeah. area all the time to come to work. Um, you know, but things change and over the years, you know, it became a better neighborhood and there was opportunity there and it was a way that I could use, you know, my skill set as a creative and ultimately help, um, you know, the family operation. So it made sense on a lot of levels. I wasn't sure where it was going to lead to, but it was something that, you know, made a ton of sense at the time and I'm glad that I did it ultimately. So what did you learn the most about, you know, well, what did you learn initially working in that business that surprised you? Um, probably, you know, the, the one thing that my father was very, very good about, and which was something that he told me that his father did, you know, when both my, my father and uncle went into, you know, my grandfather's business. And that was making sure that I started at the very bottom. <laughs> mm. Right. So even though I was, you know, family, you know, I had to work my way up to gain that respect. So as a graphic designer, I mean, I was minimum wage. I took a big pay cut because I was waiting tables at the time Yeah. Um, at a very, very popular restaurant. And I took a pay cut <laughs> to go to work for my dad. That's and amazing. that was on purpose because he wanted me to, you know, be able to do the same jobs as everybody else from the bottom to the top, learn how to do it, as well as be able to develop the skill sets I needed to be able to do it just as good, if not better. And it's through doing that, that you gain people's respect within an organization. And here I was coming in, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we're an electronics distribution company. So uh, technology tends to be very male dominated. You know, I was a young girl coming into it. Uh, the business was very established. Many of the employees had been with the company 20 plus years at that point. So it was really essential for me to go through that process to gain the respect of other people, you know, not only within our company, but within the industry. I love that. I mm -hmm. love that idea. Do you think that is a common idea, though? Or do you think your father was a little ahead of the game about that? Or is that just a, basically kind of like his generation or, you know, the time period? I think that he probably did a little differently because in my experience speaking to other, you know, children of family businesses in a variety of different industries, they don't always have the same experience that I did. They're usually like, bringing the, um, the child or the adult child to a higher level initially? Is that what you're seeing? Sometimes. I think it also depends, too, on what the child's education is. You know, if they, they went to school for business, obviously, I would completely understand bringing them in at a different level, you know, but, um, you know, contingent on the position requiring that level of education, right? Um, so that would make sense but I know it's not the same experience for everybody. So what's your, it seems like you have a, a real heart for small businesses. What is, where does that come from just from being in your family's business or is there another reason behind that? Uh, there's a few different reasons. I think um, my family's business is part of it. 
the industry that we were in was very family business centric. So not to give away too much information, but we represented, you know, large electronics brands that were family run. Um, you know, so that was very much part of the culture, you know, even though it was a, a fortune 200 company. Um, and then down to the, the reseller base, it was the same thing. It was mom and pop America. You know, it was the local, you know, store you went to for all of your electronics needs. Um, so I think it's more comfort for me. You know, it's what I grew up with. It's what I spent over 15 years in my career doing and, you know, really understanding the needs of that specific business. You know, I think, and I've interviewed a lot of small business owners on this too, where they feel that, you know, when it comes to, to business content, especially online and different publications, that they, they feel like the, the authors are speaking to a business that's bigger than they are. Right. So they kind of feel marginalized and left out in a way. So I'm hoping by through some of the work that I'm able to do, you know, and through the content I create that I'm able to kind of fill that gap. Um, you know, as well as help um, these businesses achieve, uh, you know, different level of success that they didn't believe was possible for them. How do you think, um, well, what are your thoughts on entrepreneurship, starting a business in this day and age, um, and the climate that we're in? Sure. Well, one of the things that I do believe in something I'm very passionate about, that entrepreneurship is more or less kind of like the American dream, right? <laughs> You know, everybody kind of has this, you know, deep rooted, you know, want to be able to have freedom and flexibility to make their own hours, to call all the shots, to make their own money. Um, it's something it's a very kind of like American concept, I think, in a way. And I believe it's something that everybody should have access to, which I think is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about working with small businesses, because in order to make it work, as a small business, you have to be pretty scrappy and you have to be pretty creative um, because you don't have the same operating budgets <laughs> as larger companies do to start. So the, the more creative you can be, the further you'll come. And that's one of the things that I really try to help, you know, and offer my, my skill set to um, help small business owners and startups achieve because I do work with both. Now, you mentioned that, that everybody should have access to it, but do you think that everybody is made for it? Like it's for for everyone? Because there's some people I feel like they just, they would not do well having their own business. I agree with that, but I think a lot of that depends on how badly they want it. So for somebody who may not be cut out for it, they may have the ability to you know, surround themselves with a team that can handle the elements of running a business that they themselves are not strong on. Or if they're smart enough to know, um, you know, or to know that there's resources out there like coaching and personal development that could help guide and support them on that journey. I think it helps level the playing field a little bit. Um, but yeah, I do agree. You know, some people probably may not, you know, be cut out for it, but at the same time, it's how bad do you want it? So with you know, people that you're working that with, bad, so, yeah. I'm sorry. And if you do no, want it that bad, it. knowing you know where to get the support you need to be able to make it happen. Right, right. Um, now I want to get back to that for sure. Um, oh my gosh, it just left me. I had all these things. Just I hate <laughs> when stuff pops in your mind. You're like, oh my god, I got to attack that area and talk about <laughs> it. I was good. No, it came back to me. What I was going to say is, um, what are the biggest pitfalls you see for small business owners? And I want to shape this in basically stages like in the beginning of their business 
maybe towards them, uh, well, as they're, and then also as they're kind of hitting their stride and then maybe as people have become very successful with their business? Sure. I think that those are three very distinct phases. And my own observation has been as follows. So for the people who are first starting out, uh, it's super important to be clear on why it is you're doing what you're doing. And when I talk about clarity, I mean, you know, exactly what are you offering? You know, what problem are you solving? Is it an in-demand problem? And who is the exact audience that you are serving it to? (laughs) Right? A lot of business owners don't have this level of clarity, and that's why their marketing doesn't cut through the way that it should for them to have the exposure they ultimately need to grow it into a more successful operation. Um, Coming into the next phase, um, you know, for people who have been in business a little bit and are trying to make it work. Uh, I find being effective with how you are spending your money uh, comes a little bit more into play. You know, a lot of times when I'm working with my clients, one of the first things that we do is we look at what their marketing expenses were the year before, and we start questioning, you know, certain tactics. Uh, One story that comes to mind in particular, I remember I was working with a real estate agent and we were looking at her, her marketing budget from the prior year, and she had spent over four figures on bus benches. You know, and I asked just, well, how many sales did you get from these bus benches? And her answer was honestly none, which makes complete sense. Because nowadays when people are driving in their car, even if they're at a red light, a lot of times they pick up their phone and they check it. You know, people aren't looking at signage the same way that they were before. So by being able to eliminate that expense, she was then able to invest it in other areas of her business that would yield her a better return. So it's really being, you know, smarter about where you're investing your money and that you're getting the best yield possible out of that, you know, decision. Right. And then I'd say as the businesses get larger, a lot of times uh, with my clients with more successful, more established businesses, it's more a matter of um, overwhelm, you know, and that overwhelm comes from, you know, what they did to build their business to where it is today isn't working the same way that it did before. And now it's not enjoyable anymore because it's taking more work to get the same results. Right. So it's a matter of being able to troubleshoot why isn't it working anymore and what do you need to change to be able to move the needle again? You know, it's interesting with that bus bench thing. I never thought about that, that people aren't looking at those anymore. Um, How do you think business has changed with kind of the increase in our digital age? How has that affected how we're doing business? Sure. Um, One of the things, and I think this might change in the next few years, but from day one, when social media became a big thing, and I was a very, very early adopter Mm -hmm. (laughs) for it, but um, suddenly the marketing world became an even playing field for small businesses compared to corporate America. And if small businesses learn how to leverage it, you know, meaning, like I said earlier, if you're starting off and you don't have that clarity on who you serve, why you do it and why people should be buying from you, if you're not clear in those areas and you're not highlighting that online, then you're not able to cut through the clutter of what's online to the people who most need to to know about who you are and what you do. Right. So right now, the way that the digital realm is, it's an even playing field for everybody. You don't need to buy a TV ad anymore. You can just go live on Facebook. Right. um, You know, and reach a similar audience. So for small businesses in particular, it's a game changer, but you have to go after it. And I find a lot of small business owners, especially if they've been in business for a while since before the whole digital shift happened, 
they're um, much more hesitant to make a change or go into it for fear of doing something the wrong way or for fear of not having it come across perfectly. But what happens when you're you know, focused on perfection is you miss out on the action part. So you're better off you know, trying something and having it fail and having people forget about it in a day, which is what happens yeah, with social media. True. So true. <laughs> You're better off trying it anyway <laughs> and not doing anything at all. <laughs> you know, I find that that's kind of the, uh, and I want to jump into your podcast and all this stuff, but I find that's kind of the thing with people I talk to who are like hesitant about starting a podcast and they're like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to say. Or like, what if I say something I shouldn't and this and that, and they're kind of paralyzed by putting anything out actually. Mm-hmm. So right. just just never start, actually, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how was your? Um, oh my gosh, my mind's going all over the place. This is how I never come with any scripted thing. I just listen, and then I'm like, oh, it just populates in my brain, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think about one, knowing what we know now about social media and marketing. What's the future of this for small businesses? And we look at. I mean, nobody knows, but let's say we could project forward or you, your ideas, where is it headed for that avenue, like marketing in the future? Uh, I do believe that social media is becoming more of a pay-to-play arena, especially now on platforms like Facebook and Instagram. Like ads you're talking about? Yeah, that to get the exposure that used to be organic before, you're now starting to have to pay for it, um, which makes other platforms a little bit more appealing you know, especially some of the newer startup ones, like even like TikTok as an example. Mm-hmm. But the thing for small business owners to remember that's so important is that demographically, the platforms are all drastically different, right? There's zero for reason sure. for you to be on TikTok unless you service the, you know, young adult and, you know, K through 12 market. <laughs> there's, there's no one that's really any older on there. It's right true. Now. So why focus that, you know, attention on it? Um, same thing, you know, Facebook has, Facebook probably has the most, you know, wide range of usership, mm-hmm. but they know that. So now they're, you know, more or less throttling that organic reach and you do have to pay a little bit at this point to, to really seek, you know, the widest exposure on there. So one of the ways that small businesses can really win at social is number one, like I mentioned before, being very clear, you know, on who you are as a business, what's important to you, what do you value, how are you solving problems, uh, who are you servicing, and being able to authentically communicate that online, you know, through your branding. And it's also making sure that you are only putting it on the platforms where your target audience is. Because otherwise you're spinning your wheels putting something, for example, on YouTube and your target audience isn't on there, no one's ever going to see it. Yeah, I think that's a big problem for a lot of people. They they think they need to be on every platform available to cover all of their bases. And then they're spending an inordinate amount of time in areas that may not make any sense for them. Exactly. And I think there's also another um, you know misperception as well that business owners feel they have to be on social media. And this is simply not the case. So I have a a quiz that I offer on my website that's pretty popular. It's called the Marketing Personality Quiz. And business owners can go in and they can, you know, list all the things that they enjoy doing. You know, like I enjoy, you know, meeting somebody and shaking their hand. Or I enjoy, you know, creating a graphic. And it'll pop out for them the best style of marketing for them. And the styles Mm. range from like face-to-face, door-to-door, you know, or like event reselling. Yeah. to things like digital media or even paid advertising. You know, if you would rather 
spend a chunk of money and be hands off and not have to invest a lot of time. You know, there, there's a segment of the market out there that that's the way they want to run their business. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's no right or wrong way to do anything when it comes to marketing. It's, you know, and I believe small business owners know this best because they know their customer best. It's a matter of, you know, having the right resources available to them and following what their intuition tells them is best and trying to be as focused as possible. Oh, that's, that's great advice. And I think it's the people who are going to listen to this, they're going to, it's going to be, I think somewhat shocking for them because at least a lot of people that I talk to, I think they feel this pull that they have to be on all this social media, but also feel like there's this pull of exhaustion for a lot of people as well. There's just too many things going on. We're getting overloaded by so much information and things of that. So that's a really, um, quality advice and probably a relief to some people. Yes. As you well, right? Very important too, you know, as far as the overwhelm part of it. So I kind of position myself in the market as far as business coaching goes, specifically to deal with overwhelm, hmm. right? Because what causes a small business owner's overwhelm, it could be different. You know, it could be not understanding, you know, the, the marketing side of it and being frustrated with it. Or it could be, you know, you're trying to start up a business and you're trying to balance your personal life, your day job and your new, you know, side hustle. How do you balance it all? Um, and there's, you know, a lot of different ways to get to the same destination. And that ultimately is what really has me passionate about what I do and how I help people. So the overwhelm side of it is something that I really try to hone in on because the less overwhelmed you are, the more productive you're going to be and the more success you're going to see. We're midway through our conversation with Corey. I'm having a good time. Enjoying getting these really amazing answers from Corey about how to be better in a small business. I want you to think, how can you be better? But more importantly, how can we be better in how we go about the daily work that we do? Work defines so much. Work places so much emphasis in our lives. When you're working, hopefully, it is something that you feel good about, that you feel you're contributing to something very powerful in your life. But also remember that work is definitely not everything. It's something, but your life is way more than that. Explore the other areas of your life beyond work. You're gonna find something very interesting. It seems like, you know, we as human beings, we, we, can, we tend to get stuck in this trap of multitasking too many things at the same time mm -hmm. and then kind of become inept at a variety of things because we're not focusing our areas on our effort on the right places. And it sounds like, and I've heard this from several people, kind of doing what you're doing, that this is pull to pull back and let's analyze what's the right uh, method for us to use to be successful for that. Right, exactly. It's more a matter of understanding what are your priorities in your business and staying focused just on that. So if somebody's looking to buy, let's say, ads on any of these platforms, what can, what can they expect as a small business in terms of how that works, the function of it, maybe potentially their costs related to it? 
uh, your costs are going to be way more than they should be if you're not clear on who you're trying to reach, mm. which I find vast majority of small business owners aren't clear on that. Mm. So it's just because of that first thing, they're not sure who they're supposed to be catering to right. potentially. Gotcha. You know, and that's one of the beautiful things too about you know digital platforms like Facebook, for example. Um, when I had started you know, in my family's business. And again, I, I built that marketing department from scratch. I started as a graphic designer and, you know, built out the department and then kind of worked my way up from there. But this was all before digital media was even a really big thing. And we did a ton of direct mail. And one of the reasons that we did direct mail was because of the ability to target a very specific customer, right? Because you don't want to pay to put your message in front of somebody who's going to not buy from you anyway. Right. Right. So we knew what neighborhoods and stuff we had to go into. So, so direct mail was fantastic for this. Digital media kind of upped that a level by not only allowing you to target specifically where people are located, but you could target demographics as well as interests. So if you're not leveraging that as a small business owner, you're paying for a lot of people who have, who don't have to see your message at all. Right. You know, where instead you could double down. And if you know, for example, that your target audience is, you know, stay at home moms over the age of 30, um, you know, who want to go back to work, <laughs> there's you could you could hit that exact audience using digital media today. And that's something right. that you weren't able to do before. So how do you see getting into the podcasting space? Um, how do you see that as a marketing tool these days? And how do you feel it's being um, used uh, by small business owners? I don't think it's really being used enough. Um, and, you know, and this goes for podcasting or any kind of content marketing. So when I say content marketing, I mean, you know, podcasting, blogging, you know, having a YouTube show, this all counts. And one of the reasons, especially for a small business owner, why it's so great to take advantage of this is because it allows you to educate your customer on what you believe they need to know before they buy from you. Right. So, yes. so many, depending yes. on the type of business that they own, um, you know, and my background is primarily in service based businesses, but I've done retail and stuff like that. But for a lot of small business owners, there's a certain number of questions that they're always answering, um, you know, and they know what kind of concerns customers have before they even pick up the phone and call, you know, the business owner or that business. And content marketing is a way that you could start to provide that information out up front. And it also positions you as an expert within your market. So if you're not doing it today, your competitor most likely will start doing it and you're going to lose out on that business when they start to do it. Yeah, totally. So what do you see being used most? Is, is it, well, podcasting to me, it seems like it's, it's really rising quite a bit, but is it more of the blogging? Is it podcasting? Is it YouTube shows? What do you see as the most prevalent use of that version of marketing? Uh, I wouldn't say that I've observed any one thing being more prevalent. I do know that the platforms are prioritizing video right now, mm -hmm. but I don't believe that means that video is right for everybody. You know, right. some people, they're camera shy, right? But they don't mind talking. You know, they're great on the phone. Well, if you're fantastic on the phone, then a podcast is a better fit for you. Um, no matter what, if you are comfortable being on camera and you like interacting with people, I usually try to push my clients towards going the video route because you have more opportunities to then utilize that video to create multiple pieces of content with. Right. So even using myself as an example, I have a podcast, I have a YouTube show, um, you know, and I post regular content through all my social channels. 
And I went the video route because I am a public speaker and I'm completely comfortable being on camera. And by doing video first, then from there, I strip out the audio, there's my podcast, and then we use the transcripts and we we create quotes and graphics and stuff out of it. So you get more leverage by going video first, but that doesn't mean that you have to do it that way. If you prefer to write, you should be blogging. You know, again, for me, it's more taking out that excuse for whatever your inaction is. If you don't like being on camera, and as a result, you're not going to create any ads, I would much rather if you enjoy blogging instead to just write a blog post. Yeah, I think a lot of people, they think like, well, this is what's hot right now. So I should be doing this. But then they may think, I don't want to do that, though. It's not Mm -hmm. something I'm into. And I I think that's where kind of the rubber meets the road, at least a lot of people that I've connected with through my podcast and the episodes and my observations and my colleagues is there's just an uncomfortable nature to some of this. Um, and, and I, I have, I've been a very big, you know, uh, kind of shouted out, like there's certain platforms I just don't want to be on. I don't like, I don't feel like it's native to me. I don't want to spend the time on it. Mm-mm. And I think it's good to hear from people like yourself who are like, then don't, but don't have no action, have, you know, find what works best for you and your audience. So I think it's an interesting um, way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell me about your podcast. What type of content are you putting on there on a regular basis? And um, just, you know, your passion for it. Sure. Uh, well, my podcast and my YouTube show is a great example of, you know, the importance of just being, just getting out there and doing something mm-hmm. and not being afraid to change when you need to change. So my show's on a little bit of a hiatus right now because I have changed the direction of my business a bit. So when I first started my coaching business, I was a little heavier on the, you know, personal development side, you know, self-help, um, less on business. And, you know, over the last year and a half of running my business and finding majority of my clients ended up being these small business owners, you know, who needed the business help and ultimately the expertise that I have that I wasn't utilizing. I've decided to do a pivot and I am doing more, you know, business related content in the upcoming months. But when I had first started my podcast, it was because I had this interest, you know, after um, experiencing some, you know, personal stuff, you know, over the years. And I talk about this, I actually did a TED talk where I talk all about this. And by the time your mm-hmm. your show goes live, it'll probably be on YouTube. Um, so if you want to hear all about my story at this point, just look for the, look for the TED right. talk. But um, so in short, I had this uh, pivotal life moment where somebody that I loved dearly took his life by suicide. And it made me second guess how I was spending my life. And at that point in time, I was commuting over 20 hours a week to mm. get to my family's job. <laughs> Wow. Um, I had a young son at the time. I was a brand new mother. You know, I was rarely ever getting to spend time with him. So it was in that that time period that I decided to go and start my own business. I am still involved with the family business, but I'm primarily working on my own thing right now. Right. Um, so I would have that freedom and flexibility to be with him. But the uh, whole reason I'm even bringing this up right now is because when I had first started my show, I was really interested in speaking to people who had similar experiences to me. Um, you know, that kind of like traumatic pivotal moment where like everything yeah. changed. And my show was initially based off of that. But what I came to find out later, there's a pattern that uh, everybody who was ever on the show, they end up utilizing whatever that moment was. And they now have some kind of a service related business that gives back to others. Hmm. Right. So I ultimately was still working in that business business realm, but I wasn't aware of it at the time. So it's interesting to see how that kind of progressed. But 
it doesn't mean now because it is my show that I have to stay in that niche forever. Right. So that's why my show's kind of on a hiatus right now. And I'm going to do, you know, more educational, you know, business specific tips, but you know, I'm really glad that I went through that period because everything that I talk about in my Ted talk is a direct result of everything I learned through all those interviews and through sharing my experiences and by kind of piecing everything together. So again, like I mentioned, it's not a matter of being frustrated. You are where you are today and you're not where you want to go. It's about enjoying the journey and learning along the way and ultimately having faith that you're going to get to where you want to go. That's awesome. That's I think it's a good lesson in just, you know, moving forward mm-hmm. and it's it's okay to, you know, to change lanes even when you're moving forward. I think some people feel like, hey, I started this, I have to stay in this very specific spot. And continue to um, to push. I know for me, like in, in my podcast, I was very fitness centric starting out, mm-hmm. and then I started thinking to myself, you know, listen, there's a lot. I have a lot of tastes and different things that I'm interested in, and I want my podcast to be kind of each guest represents a different part of my brain that I'm interested in right. and topics, and so that whatever I put out there, it just resonates with what interests me. And what I think is just uh, something very um, fascinating, not what I think is like, oh, well, this will hit really well, or this will do is just like what I find interesting. And then it turns out that a lot of people think that's interesting as well. So, but to pivot, I think is, is it's okay to pivot, but instead of being so rigid in your thought process, you know? Well, I'll tell you what, I, I don't think it's not only okay to pivot. I think it's essential. Because mm. look what happens to big businesses that don't pivot. Like what happened to Blockbuster? <laughs> of course, then you, know? you get obs- become obsolete when exactly. something else comes so, along. Yeah. So learning how to pivot is essential in any size business that you're I in. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. You can't be so attached to you know, the prior results. You know, One of the things that I say all the time to, to my coaching clients is you can't continue to run your business as if what you did yesterday is sufficient for today. Yeah. And it makes complete sense. I mean, and it feels like that the world is changing at a much faster pace than it used to. Yes. Um, And so it feels like then what we're doing in business or how we consume things is changing much quicker than it did, you know, in the the 90s or, you know, early 2000s. So staying on top of that seems like you have to pivot because things are changing at such a dramatic clip. Yes. And I think also too, because things are changing so fast that the consumers are demanding, um, you know, a certain level of change and flexibility and freedom. And they, they are in the market for different things than they were before. So if you're not always adapting to what your current customer is looking for, then, you know, you're going to be behind. Do you look at that with consumers like, Hey, where is it at now? And then where do you foresee consumers will be uh, in the, in the future? Do you look at things like that? I think it really depends on the industry, right? you know, but, um, I had a great conversation, um, just this past week. This is just like an example, but, um, you know, I was speaking to a business owner who was a massage therapist, Mm -hmm. you know, and she was telling me how she couldn't find clients anymore. You know, that it was, it was more difficult. Like I had mentioned before for that more established business that they were frustrated that the same, you know, actions weren't having the same results. And um, she cited that clients want more on-demand service when it comes to massages, you know, and that's not the way her business worked. And, you know, when I asked her, well, what have you done to accommodate, (laughs) 
you know, that segment of your business is something you want to go after because if that's what the market's demanding and there's nothing else locally that's providing that, that's a market opportunity for you. So instead of viewing it as a negative, it's an opportunity to learn and adapt and ultimately better service your customers. Yeah, it's interesting how, you know, I'm seeing a lot of the kind of movement into, you know, obviously more app-based things. And it's funny with the massage thing, because I'm very familiar with that business space of my past and stuff um, and working with people in that industry and uh, things like Zeal, the app Zeal has really changed the game kind of on demand. I want a massage now. Let me look for a service provider in my area, kind of the Uberization of things I've seen really starting to take off. I mean, and even using that as an example, you know, a lot of small business owners, they think that's out of their realm, but there's tools like Calendly um, that you can use that if you embed it on your website, you can collect a payment and you can do a last minute massage like that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not limited only to people with apps. It's just more removing the blinders that you can't do something because you don't have a big budget or you don't have a fancy website or you don't have the same stuff that a larger company has. Right. You know, what popped in my mind is what do you think about the importance of reviews, like digital reviews on like Google and things of that nature, Yelp? What's your opinion on those things? They're very important because people... People only tend to write reviews with one of two things. Either they had an absolutely exceptional, amazing experience, or they had a horrific experience. Right. Right. So why would you not want to know what kind of experience your customers had? Or be able to, you know, even with a negative review, that's an opportunity if you go in and comment on it or work to correct whatever that problem is, that other people reading the reviews see that and they value that because it shows that you care about your customers. I've seen that. I've seen like restaurants and stuff where like the GM or whoever is actually comments on all of the mm-hmm. comments and says, sorry that you felt that way. This is what we're doing. That's an effective approach you feel. Oh yeah. Because all the consumer ultimately wants is to be validated. Yeah. You know, and by doing that, we can't be perfect all the time. Of course. You know, so if you're, if you're identifying what the mistake was, what you're doing to correct it and what to do to make good by the customer. I mean, granted, you can't continually do it like 20 reviews in a row, have yeah, awful, yeah. you know, terrible reviews, say you're going to make it better. And then it obviously isn't because there's more reviews behind it. It keeps that being negative. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, people, people are smart. They see past that. Um, but to, to not, you know, dive into your reviews and use it as an experience to make your business better. That just seems silly to me. Yeah. What do you, uh, I was also thinking, is there ever a point where you're seeing a business and you're like, this is not viable, that it needs to shut down? Is, do you, are you having conversations with people related to that or, or have you had that with people? More on the startup side, mm-hmm. I see than the existing business side. Because at least in, if you're a pre-existing business and it's just the market has changed, you can usually figure out a way to adapt to uh, you know, meet the needs of the current marketplace. Right. With what you currently have, because you wouldn't have been able to start your business if you weren't solving a problem for somebody. Right. Yeah. Now for startups, you know, there's a lot of times where I'll hear from somebody that they have an idea for something, but they have no basis to know whether or not it's something people will actually pay for. And then they invest all this time, money and effort on this specific thing without doing any market research or testing. And that ultimately is going to set them up. I mean, I don't want to say not for success, but they're going to fail much more <laughs> quickly um, because they didn't, you know, accurately test to see that it was something that the market was demanding to begin with. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. 
It sounds like it always comes back to kind of the original question, you know, of why am I doing this? What is my target audience? And it's fascinating that a lot of people aren't thinking about that, actually. Maybe it's just they have passion for what they want to do, but don't realize if it's an actually viable thing. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of it too, like, yeah, you definitely have to be passionate to be a small business owner. Um, if you weren't about whatever it is that you're offering, you wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Uh, and I think for a lot of small business owners, it's just no one ever asked them why, you know, and that's not something, you know, a lot of small business owners don't necessarily go to business schools or have degrees, um, you know, and doing stuff like that, you know, and granted, I work in the business space, I don't have a degree in it. Uh, it's more what I learned along the way. But by knowing that, you know, I also I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. But it's incredible to me how many small business owners don't work at all on personal development. Mm. You know, a lot of times I'll be on a, a call and I'll say like, okay, well, you know, what courses have you taken? What, you know, books have you read? <laughs> you know, right. where, where else have you been to try to solve whatever this problem is that we're talking about? And a lot of times the answer I get is nothing because they don't know it's available. Hmm. You know, because uh, even all the content that's written online, you know, about businesses, it is skewed a little bit more towards larger operations. You know, and the, the ones that I work with, when I say small, they're like mom and pop, um, you know, yeah, or solopreneurs yeah. or service-based, you know what I mean? Um, so they don't know that any of that applies to them. Wow. You know, even I, I have conversations all the time with people that are considering coaching that don't know that business coaching is a tax-deductible expense. Granted, you got to clear it with your accountant. But it is something that, you know, in certain instances, you can write off. It's an educational experience. Yeah, it seems like there's, what's funny, though, is it feels like we're at a time where there's more knowledge than ever, but we're, there's still a gap yeah. in a lot mm -hmm. of this. Um, mm -hmm. And why do you think that is? Um, I think it's just the way the content's positioned. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, actually. I mean, it's. There's more there's more content than ever, but it makes sense that how it's positioned may not be um in a way that people are seeing it, it sounds like that that feels like it's relevant for them to be able to grab and take. Maybe they look at the large person company, what I mean, and they say, Oh, well, that's I can't achieve that. There's there's no way I can make that part of my business. You know? Right. Mm -hmm. So that makes a lot of sense, uh, the way it's positioned. So where do you see the future of, of uh, small business owners and entrepreneurship? Like, do you see that more people will start small businesses or where do you see that going? I mean, right now, small businesses are the majority of business ownership in the United States. I forget the exact statistic, but it was something ridiculously high last time I looked. I think something mm. upwards of 80% of businesses registered are small businesses. Right. Um, so I don't think that's going anywhere. I mean, it's basically what America was built on, you know, Certainly. which is one of the reasons that I, I believe I'm so passionate about it. Oh, that's amazing. I really, you know, it's been very insightful, I think, especially, you know, I, I see a lot of podcasts and things where people are like talking about marketing tips and all this and that. Um, but it's interesting. I think, uh, I really got wanted to talk to you because I was just interested about small businesses and your fa familial history with it. And it just ends up, you know, coming together with different aspects related to that and marketing and the passion related to it and positioning. I'm really appreciative of you coming on, Corey, and discussing these things. It's been really cool.
It's an honor to have been here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, of course. And uh, I definitely uh, would love for people to check out um, your podcast and your show. Once it comes back from hiatus, I'd love to uh, connect with that as well. Uh, um, but what can people look forward to as that comes back online? Um, well, I mean, I'm always posting content now anyway, just specifically my yeah. shows off the air. Um, so if you're interested, you can find me on pretty much every single social platform at I am Corey Lowe, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, they're all, I am Corey Lowe, C-O-R-R-I-E-L-O. I love that. I'm Corey Lowe. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> it's much easier. My last name is Logitis, which no one can pronounce. So I'm like, yeah. just be Corey Lowe. Yeah. I was actually going to be like, how do you, how do you say this last <laughs> name? Oh, Cause when I do like an intro and stuff, I'd be like, I don't want to hack this up, man. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, like, no. it that along those same routes, my website is just as easy. It's just www.corylow.com. Wow, that is simple. Very mm -hmm. simple. See everybody, you can go <laughs> check Corey out and all the wonderful <laughs> things you're doing. You know what I see is you are very knowledgeable and I feel like you're very confident in your knowledge, but you also seem very grounded as well. Mm -hmm. Um that you're not above anything. I just I love that. I love that about you. Just that sense I feel when mm -hmm. talking to you about it. So thank you for being on. Thank you for providing your knowledge. It's going to help a lot of people. It's, it's helping me and for being a light for others. That's really awesome. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. We'll be in touch, Corey. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Thanks. There are a million reasons e-commerce shoppers don't buy. In fact, 97% abandon their first store visit. AdRoll retargeting keeps your brand on their mind, so they come back to buy. Visit AdRoll.com to start retargeting today. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffel Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on, and you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com.